0: Welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and man, oh man, the big news, Comcast bought DreamWorks Animation. This is huge. This has been in the news for days, every single outlet talking about this. Now, of course, Jeffrey Katzenberg has been looking for a buyer for DreamWorks Animation for some time now to help booster revenue and help keep everything running. So time will tell what will happen with this deal. Right now there is a whole lot of speculation, number 1 being that Comcast didn't buy the studio just for animation, but because they're planning on launching a whole line of consumer products as well as boosting the theme park business. Comcast also owns NBC Universal, which owns Universal Studios. So this is a way for all of the DreamWorks characters to now be in the park. And also, NBC Universal is the owner of Illumination, which brought us all of the Despicable Me and Minions films. So we'll see what's going to happen with that. Right now, speculation is that Jeffrey Katzenberg is going to be moving into a new role and focusing on more of the digital entertainment side with things like Awesomeness TV, While Chris Melodandry, who's the one that's running Illumination, will end up taking over DreamWorks Animation. At least that's the rumor. Only time will tell. My hope is that there are good things ahead for DreamWorks. I'm hoping that there won't be a whole lot of layoffs. I'm hoping that the transition will be smooth. So for all of you out there working at DreamWorks Animation or working at Illumination, I wish you all all the best. And I'll keep covering this story on the Animated Journey Facebook page, as well as the Twitter page. So as things come up, I'll make sure to let all of you know what's going on with that. Also, congratulations to all of the Emmy Award-winning shows! It's pretty exciting! A lot of really great shows won the Emmy, including The Adventures of Puss in Boots, Dino Trucks, All Hail King Julian, Nico and the Sword of Light, Transformers Rescue Bots, Peter Rabbit, and Peg and Cat, And there were many other shows that won as well. So congratulations to all of the networks and all of the crew, everyone in production and everyone on the art side. All of you are winners. So congratulations to everyone who won an Emmy this past week. And I am very excited today. We have a wonderful guest on episode 11 today. It is Tamara Lusher-Stalker. I have to tell you, Tamara is an amazing person. First off, she worked on the big three of the Disney Renaissance, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Lion King. She's also worked on Hercules and Treasure Planet. She's also worked at Pixar, Rainmaker, Blue Sky, Wild Brain, Lucasfilm Animation. She's also taught at Academy of Art University, which is where I first met her because she was my storyboarding teacher. Tamara is an amazing person, and she has an amazing story, and I know that all of you are going to love her interview today. So without further ado, on with the show. My guest today is Tamara Lusher-Stalker. She is an animator who has worked on some of the best films that y'all have ever seen. We're talking the Disney Renaissance, the big three, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and the Lion King. She's also a visual development artist and a storyboard artist. She did VizDev for Treasure Planet and Home on the Range, and she's also done story on Dinosaur, Hercules, and Escape from Planet Earth. She's worked at Lucasfilm Animation, Pixar, Disney, Rainmaker, Wild Brain, and Blue Sky. Tamara, thank you very much for coming on the show today.
1: Angela, thank you for asking me. It's great to talk to you.
0: It's great talking with you. And also, I want to let you all know, Tamara was also my teacher at Academy of Art University, and I really appreciate that because you're one of the people that really helped me improve my work and really helped me to see what story is all about.
1: Oh, that's wonderful to hear. I thought you were a great student and it was a joy to have you in my class. Thank
0: you. <laughs> I know the other other people in my class, we all felt the same way too. It was It was, it was pretty great because we actually had a we had a class of five people, which was fantastic because we all got a lot of time to be able to pitch our stories and really work out different things.
1: Yes, that's right. It was kind of an advanced storyboard class and we were working towards creating your own own stories, which was fantastic, you know, and something that you always don't get a chance to do in the industry. So it it was a moment where you all can try your own thing and try to find your own stories. So it was A great opportunity I think.
0: Absolutely. So I always like to start with origin stories and where Uh, people got their start. Yeah. So let's start with you. Where did you first get your start?
1: So I am from Upper Arlington, Ohio, which is right next to the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. I spent most of my summers in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, where my mom is from. And I spent a lot of time at my father's farm in Southeast Ohio. I'm the oldest of three girls, and I spent, you know, my childhood watching cartoons and playing with Barbie dolls and climbing trees and, you know, just having a very, really fun childhood. I spent a lot of time in the library that was two houses down from our house, and it was this big public library just full of records and DVD, or actually they were (laughs) They were actually real-to-real films that they had then, oh, and they wow. also had, uh, you know, videos. But I was able to watch Disney films there and uh, just poured over illustrations and read all kinds of stories. So I, I felt like the library was part of my house. <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, my family, my extended family, um, there were, both of my grandfathers were ministers, and my, I have three uncles that were ministers. So I felt like there was a lot of storytelling and thematic talk in our family. And my mom was a psychiatric nurse. So I kind of gained an understanding of what makes people tick from that. And my my dad was a, he uh, a still is actually a, a high school history and English teacher. And so we grew up going on these vacations, where we'd stop at every roadside, you know, historical marker <laughs> you know we go to battlegrounds and so it was just a lot of a lot of you know learning about our past and you know when I was a little kid I would draw on everything and you know it was just in school I drew this whole comic strip on all my algebra assignments and it was about a girl and a pig and I just felt like art and cartoons and uh Storytelling was all just part of this big soup that kind of helped raise me. And so I um I kind of came into animation feeling like it was just kind of part of who I was and what I needed to do, you know? And uh I went to the Columbus College of Art and Design. I had taken Saturday morning classes there when I was in high school, I guess. And uh it was just it's like a half an hour from my house. So I lived at home through my time in school. And that was, you know, a really great thing to be able to just be there for my younger sister growing up. She was, she's 10 years younger than I. I have, I'm the oldest of two girls, but the youngest, it was just really nice to be home with her. And anyway, so being at CCAD, I found animation. They had a white Victorian building that a uh, a guy had come from California to work with Charles Surrey who was at Ohio State. He's one of the grandfathers of computer animation and uh, his name is Ron Sachs and he became my instructor and talked to us all about storyboarding and animation and I became his assistant and shot all these student films on their big old camera that they had. So uh, Disney came and was recruiting people for their program. I wasn't the greatest you know art I didn't have the greatest art technique you know there are people that were far better than I but what the Disney Scout told me is that in my drawings I was talking you know and I was expressing myself and I had these little story moments you know that were I created in my portfolio that were not just kind of your standard portfolio stuff and I think that's what set me apart and In 1990, I was then asked to go to to Disney for an internship. And so that summer I had an internship and I returned back to school and graduated and then came back to Disney and began work on Beauty and the Beast.
0: That is excellent. And I liked uh, especially what you said about growing up with story and really understanding story and how all of that worked out and your family being a big part of that. And I was curious, it sounds like you had that throughout your whole life, but I was wondering, was there a particular moment, because this happens sometimes with folks where that particular moment or that particular film or book when they say, animation, that is what I oh. want to do.
1: <laughs> Truly, yes. I I loved um, Cinderella, seeing that movie, I think... I don't remember this happening, but my parents do that. I, after seeing it, told them that I wanted to work for Disney Wanted <laughs> to do that. Whatever I saw up on the screen, I wanted to do it. They remembered and, but it wasn't until I saw Roger Rabbit that I was like, I was in college and I could kind of see that that was a, a thing to do. I, I really rec. I saw the names on the credits and saw that that was, you know, a career path. And um, when Disney came that next year to recruit, it was just such a no brainer for me. I put all my eggs into that basket and said, okay, I'm going to just work harder than I ever, ever worked before, you know, to make this happen. And uh, so I, you know, I had been, you know, in throughout school had been a student that wasn't just super inspired. But when that happened, when I saw Roger Rabbit, it was like I had some kind of rocket boost behind me and uh I had spent my life watching cartoons, you know, from all different time zones, from I had watched like the little rascals and I was watching Captain Caveman and I was watching the Super Friends and just this whole soup of different kinds of, um, stories. And so, you know, I would go back and I would look at those and I was sketching from them and, you know, drawing those characters. So that to me was just very inspiring. And I I feel like that was the moment it was Roger Rabbit that just did it for me. And, uh, so then, you know, putting the portfolio together, um, I had friends at CCAD who also went to um to Disney. And so I felt like they had um those that friendship. I'm still friends with these people. And it's it's that kind of relationships, you know, that have kind of echoed throughout my career. And um I feel like we've all kind of pushed each other as well, inspiring each other.
0: That is great that you were able to inspire each other and still. Keep in contact as yeah, well.
1: Yeah. One of the friends that I worked with, you know, um, at CCAD as assistants together, she and I are, she was a bridesmaid of mine.
0: <laughs> oh, great. See, there you go. Yes. I like what you said as well when you were talking about how the recruiters saw that you were expressing yourself and your drawings. And I feel like that's very important because a lot of times I think when we're working on something, you know, we'll just draw and draw and we kind of get in our own headspace sometimes. And I just like what you said about how they could tell that you had something to say with what you were doing. It wasn't just a drawing on a page.
1: Yeah, I think think that I would tell any student that that's what they need to do with their work. And, you know, there's just always going to be someone better than you. You know, there's always going to be someone that can draw amazingly well so the only thing you can do is to be yourself and to draw the things that you love and the observations that you make and your empathy towards the characters that you see and uh, you know your your brand of humor all of those things are right you know are your most valuable asset as an artist and um so yeah when I I did that without, you know, kind of knowing that that's what I needed to do, but it just seemed natural. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what they told me. So I was happy to hear that. And it was great to get my first job. It was like kind of winning the lottery of some sort. And, you know, working in Florida was one of the greatest experiences. Like I was only there for three years, but those people and the time that we had running around the parks and being at the studio late at night and all those great parties and things like that, that we did. I, it just felt magical at the time. And I'm very happy that I was aware of that. You know, I was aware that this is a a moment that was very special. And, uh, but yeah, then I moved on to the Burbank studio. I was asked to be part of a story internship there in 1994. And I worked Um, under Vance Gary um he was my in charge for internship and uh there was great people in the story class um Chris Williams among them who just directed Big Hero 6 and you know we then were in this internship for a year creating all different stories and you know people guest artists came in like Joe Ramp came in and talked with us did it um about a week with us and um And then after that, oh, we did a lot of improv and stuff like that, too. It was just kind of this whole thing. Then I was asked to be on Hercules after that, so I became a full story artist after that and worked on scenes um, with Megara, especially those were my favorite. And uh, also I did the song Shooting Star with Hercules.
0: Good song. Sorry? I said that's a good song.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's... it's, um, it's meant to be kind of a, a moment of change for him, you know, kind of the inspiring "I want" song. And from there, I worked on the movie Dinosaur, which was in the midst of a, a director change, but it also was in the midst of a, kind of a, where is this? What kind of story do we want to tell? And that, to me, was amazing because I had never experienced that you know I had always been part of a project that was pretty packaged and ready to go and to suddenly be on a film that was struggling was really fun and (laughs) it was it was great to you know actually start writing and trying to help figure out some things that they had going on with it and so I Put together story notes and wrote out beats and created maps and things like that. And I was asked to work with Joe Grant after you know seeing kind of what I was doing with writing. And uh, so I worked with Joe Grant for I think about three years, and we developed I think three or four features. And I started doing beat boards for him. And Vance Gary worked with us too, and Vance was known for doing beat boards, you know, kind of these eight and a half by 11 illustrations that you'd line up and you tell an entire movie just with with one board and a whole series of illustrations. And that was such a great point in time, you know, working with him. He was such a generous person. And, you know, I would just go in and talk with he and his roommate was Bernie Mountainson. And the two of them were so kind and great mentors. But anyway, I I then worked um, on Treasure Planet and Sweating Bullets as a development artist. So (laughs) (laughs) after, you know, working with Joe, so I kind of moved from being, I was kind of going back and forth between viz dev and story and doing a lot of writing, but also doing story moments, kind of like in my original portfolio, you know, those kind of moments, you know, what are the, what are those emotional core moments? And Joe Grant was wonderful of, to teach me his thinking about trying to find the theme in just one drawing, you know, and of a whole story. And I, I've just always thought that that was a very valuable lesson and Vance Gary's work, you know, would create a whole mood and a whole um, pictorial kind of illustration that would again, show thematic moments, but in a well-lit, you know, beautiful, you know, watercolor painting. And so I took those things forward with me as I went into, you know, other development pieces. And, you know, I also wrote my own a few stories of my, you know, that I wrote and pitched to the development staff and created beat boards. And, you know, it was just this great time of just experimenting and writing and then I had two babies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I love it. So you work with all these, you work with Joe Grant and Joe Rant and yeah. Bernie Madison and all these great people yeah. and all these great shows and you're pitching your own material. And then somehow you also found time to have a family too. This is this is amazing. You could write a book on how I've done everything cool. <laughs> by Tamora Lushy stalker chapter one. Oh uh, yes, yes,
1: yes. But you know, I- I was also, I find having, you know, children and being a mom kind of a also part of that, you know, understanding of humans and storytelling and kind of interacting with people that weren't part of the animation world and, you know, like... One of the women that were in my, was in a baby group I was in, was an air traffic controller and a lawyer wow. and all these different people, you know. And so it was kind of very inspiring for me to hear, you know, you can get, it can get a little insular. And so it was nice to be able to, at that point in my career, to have things kind of blown up a bit and, and start um, hearing things from different points of view. And then uh, my husband and I, my husband is Michael Stalker, and he was offered a job at Pixar as an animator. And he and I moved up to Northern California in 2002. And um, he we've been here ever since, which I guess has been 14 years, which is really hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. I... You know, I love going back to Southern California. I get very homesick for it. I love it here too, though. It's just this kind of, I'm glad it's only five hours away or by, you know, playing half hour. So it's nice. But yeah, we, he got a job at Pixar and I started realizing that I couldn't just stay at home. I needed to continue to be, you know, Seeking out other artists and continuing to to develop my stories. So, I also became very interested in children's books and um, joined the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators and began writing stories and figuring out the difference between animation stories and children's book stories. Began submitting a few, began writing them, and getting lots of feedback. And then it's still an inspiration or a still a ambition of mine to do one. So I'm still working on that. I've just written another one and that I haven't had one published yet, but it's, it's uh, I feel like I'm a, a long, slow burn, Angela. It's not like I, I'm not an overnight success, but I feel like, you know, I, I, uh, there's some tenacity and some, you know, just long road kind of thinking going on. And I, I, um, I hope to make, you know, that work. And I also in, uh, I believe it was 2003 or four, I did some freelance work for Pixar on Ratatouille and they were between directors and that was an exciting time. You know, they were trying to figure out their story, but they were also at a point where they, we're just going to blow it up, you know, and send it over to Bad So I didn't stay there, but through being there, I learned that Lucas was looking for some stories. And so I went over to Lucasfilm and pitched a story to them about a girl, you know, not about a girl and a pig, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but a story about a girl and they optioned it. And I worked for them for, I believe, Four, three or four years and worked at the Skywalker ranch and trolled around that beautiful library that's there. Um, you know, again, there's this lifelong love that I have for libraries. And that was for me, like that beauty moment, the beauty and the beast moment going into that library and, you know, just uh, finding all the inspirational images that I know George Lucas had looked at. And so that was great. I. At one point, though, you know their server. There was um, these folders, right? You know the Lucasfilm folders, Lucasfilm Animation, and one of the folders was Star Wars. <laughs> one so folders, like, oh, What's over here? I know. And one of the folders was like my movie, and I, <laughs> I recognize that this is, you know, probably gonna go towards Star Wars, and um, and I was right. It they decided that they needed to develop Clone Wars and so um, their feature stuff didn't happen and but I was able to take that project over to another local studio um, called Wild Brain in the city and they optioned it and I developed it there we wrote a script and began to work with other artists to create some development artwork and that was fantastic but they also were not quite prepared to create a feature and so the project then, you know, has been, then I've re optioned it to um, independent producers and believe it or not, it's still, there's still a heartbeat to it. And I can, am continuing to push it along. So again, the long road and some tenacity is in order, <laughs> but um, yeah, I have had a, wonderful time also freelancing and working for studios, you know, in these short spurts of time. And, um, just recently within the year worked for blue sky studios on a film and development. And it's just such a joy to meet all these people from, you know, all these different places and run into old friends. And it's, a, it's a great career. And I think it just is, um, recognizing that animation is a wonderful, wonderful way to communicate, you know, I think that's something that I have learned through the years. And I think, you know, just seeing that and not necessarily getting caught up in the names or the brands or anything like that. I think you're just kind of if you can see yourself as a as your own brand and as your own, as your own storyteller, you know, and you, I think you can have a very very happy career and so yes my recommendation to any student that's interested in pursuing animation is to you know not worry about you know if what studio you're at or if you're going to be there for the rest of your life you know just just worry about what you're trying to say with that with your life and knowing that animation can be part of that and it can happen in all different, you know, forums. You can tell your stories with animation or with children's books, with your blog, with your comic strip, all these different ways of talking are wonderful.
0: That is excellent advice.
1: So good. <laughs> and
0: I really like what you said, particularly about being your own brand and being your own storyteller.
1: Yeah, yeah i um I think you know, as I think about story teams, I think it's very viable to have a story team that's a mix of people with all these different backgrounds and having different experiences and different things to bring to to the story. Um, you know, your perspective and your ability to bring lots of different uh, experiences to a story is very, very important. And uh, I think studios seek out people that are able to, to bring some kind of unique vision. And so, yeah, being your own brand and kind of, uh, you know, I'm not great at branding myself. I will be honest with you. I don't have a fantastic website or followers that are, you know, that kind of stuff hasn't, you know, I'm Gen X, so I I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just it just isn't completely in my DNA to be the to have you know a big web presence, but I feel like when I'm in a meeting and I'm talking, I am able to um, to have something that is unique, and uh, I feel like I love to listen to other people, and I think that by. Expressing yourself, being not shy in a meeting, you know, just being able to, to be able to kind of get to the core of a story and, and see it for, to understand those characters is, is, uh, is your greatest, you know, thing in your tool belt. You know, studying films is another really important thing that, you know, all people starting out in the industry need to do. Um, if they haven't already, just you know, watch these films, read these books about filmmaking. I love the Save the Cat books. You know, um, I love uh, Shot by Shot, the Five C's, cinematography. I love you know all these even old books about filmmaking. You know, like I have these you know old discarded books about you know cameras and things like that that I feel like are just great because they give you a sense of the history of, of, um, filmmaking, but then also yet studying, you know, everything that's new and all the the new technology and the ability to create reality is so amazing. But yet I feel like the most important thing that needs to happen with, um, with animation is to connect with the audience. And so your ability to go out and listen to people and to, to empathize with them and to give yourself, you know, a life outside of animation is really valuable as well.
0: That is good to hear. And I I liked particularly what you said about having a life outside of animation. I mean, that's, I mean, animation (laughs) is very important and it's, it's good to work and it's good to be focused. But I think, especially when you're in school, because you're in school and you have, projects and you're trying to graduate and get that first job you just think okay I have to eat and and breathe and sleep this and, and and maybe not even sleep so much but just be here and I like what you said about go out have a life see other things and then
1: yeah like I love science I just love it but you know I will say you know with that idea of living out you know kind of leaving the studio or in your mind and all of that stuff behind you can't really ever and (laughs) like everything that you do and everything you experience and all the the Broadway shows that you go to or the ballet or you know all of those things like I love to sing you know and I feel like even still all those things are still relating back to my to animation and, and my storytelling you know so it's so in a way you can't ever escape it Angela. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it will never go away I know. everything is like you're you're just observing everything like some kind of tumpty dumpty or something but um I would just say that the more you push yourself you know and to go out and to see the world the more you will understand it and and that's um incredibly valuable yes as a storyteller
0: that is fantastic and I want to circle back now because you you mentioned a lot of great projects a lot of great movies a lot of cool people a lot of different things you got to do yeah and I'm particularly interested in when you worked at the Florida studio
1: yes because
0: I don't know how many I mean I think some people may know about this now if they've seen Waking Sleeping Beauty and other, you know, documentaries or films. But at one point, Disney had a studio in Burbank and in Florida, and they did a lot of work at the Florida studio. So can you tell us about what that experience was like working in Florida?
1: Sure. Um, Well, as I mentioned, Beauty and the Beast was my first film. I was a breakdown artist in cleanup for um, the character Belle. It was, you know, work where you're just you're working with a mechanical pencil and you were creating using the animators drawing to create that kind of big in-between. You know, there were other in-betweens there, but you were finding the the one that could then you could then pass off to an in-betweener. And so there was this whole system, you know, it was like this beautiful machine. <laughs> And, um, you know, we would work just so hard. I actually sat, I don't know how much your audience will know about kind of how the Florida studio was laid out, but it was kind of part of an attraction in the park and people would come through and watch the artist draw. And there was this whole, you know, film that kind of carried the, um, The audience through, you know, the studios, so they understand understood what they were seeing. What the heck were those artists doing down there? And so, yeah, that was just so fun. I sat next next to the window for a period of time, and you know, people would knock on the windows. Who knew? really fun, and it was actually it was funny because I was fairly comfortable doing it. Other people, you know, hated it, but I had worked as a caricature artist. It was one of it was actually my very first job right out of high school was to work at a water park as a caricature artist. And so I it just kind of got used to this idea of having, you know, crowds <laughs> behind me as I drew. So going into that job, it wasn't that big of a jump. I was like, oh, sure. You know, and people are just standing there and waving and you know, it was fun. But eventually I was moved to another building where, you know, my, the whole group was, you know, moved over. Um, And I worked on Aladdin next. Um, I worked on another female character, Jasmine. And, you know, she had beautiful eyes and just a beautiful character to draw. And one moment that I remember that was just hysterical was I was drawing it and Michael Jackson was um, touring the studio. And he came by my desk and saw me drawing her, and he, he said, "She has beautiful eyes." Oh my gosh! You're looking at me like, "Whoa, hello!" I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> um,
0: Captain EO himself come to take the tour. Yes, I know, I know. Um,
1: and so I met. Yeah, there were other people that came through too. I remember Princess Diana came through, and her her sons um, William and Harry. I had a little pet mouse, and they love my little pet mouse. And I gave yeah. Ginger Rogers a tour. So, you know, really fun experiences. The Florida studio, kind of unreal experiences.
0: <laughs> that, that was amazing. It sounds it really like, this, like part dream and part. Uh, it reminds yeah. me of like the Mr. DNA film from Jurassic <laughs> Park, where you have Mr. DNA, you yes. know, telling you everything, That's and then you get great. to see the scientists
1: that's right it was exactly like that and but so fun you know the people there were from all over the country and all over the world and you know I that whole international quality about it I just loved and the artists were so good and so inspiring and we had figure drawing classes and we had um for the movie Lion King we had um Lions come in that we would draw and and just great artists would come visit and talk to us. So it was such a wonderful, extraordinary experience, you know, right out of school. I, you know, having lived at home through my college years, I always kind of thought of going to Florida as my actual college campus experience. You know, it was it. I had a roommate and you know all those things and it was just really fun and it was hard too, you know like I said we worked very very long hours and ate the commissary food and you know when the park would close we'd walk around at night just to get some exercise but it was just quite a a fun thing to, you know, walk around like the great movie ride after it had closed, you know, in the dark.
0: <laughs> <You're> just <laughs>
1: like A little bit nuts. But um, then we also, our next movie was The Lion King. And that was a movie that, you know, the Burbank studio had mm-hmm. seen as being kind of a B movie to Pocahontas. And so a lot of us moved up um, into new roles. And I became a a key cleanup artist for Bonsai, the hyena, which was voiced by Cheech Marin. And that was just such a fun experience. I work with Alex Kuperschmidt and um, taking his beautiful drawings and cleaning them up It's just such a learning experience of trying to find the one line that would just express the most um, from his rough work. So yeah, it was just a really just such a fun, concentrated time. And we had amazing Halloween parties. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can imagine.
1: I know. I know. You know, and the Burbank studio was also just equally uh, going there. I was actually asked to go to the Burbank studio on the day of the Northridge earthquake.
0: Oh my gosh. Which, Yeah. like I remember that. That earthquake, I was living, I was a Kid, when that happened, and that was terrifying. Our entire everything in the house shook.
1: Oh my gosh, you lived through it.
0: Yeah, I, I did. I was in uh, I was in middle school, and I remember my parents woke me up. The whole house was shaking. Great. Car alarms were going off, and then there was complete silence, and power had gone out throughout the entire L.A. area. Great. And my dad and I went outside, and there were millions of stars. Because everything was shut off, and so you could just see everything. It was amazing and terrifying.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where were you? What what town?
0: We lived in Ventura.
1: Ventura. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, when I was asked to go, it was we from Florida on the news. All they would show are. Just the worst places. Oh no! <laughs>
0: so, like, the, the freeway that had collapsed. No, all, the, all the roads that were in shambles.
1: Like, why would you ever think? And and that's. I was so excited. I was just <laughs> that's. So- absolutely wonderful so of course even though it was on fire according to (laughs) the news
0: (laughs) you saw that and you went that's where I want to live the place is on fire okay right let's go
1: that's right that's exactly what happened and I was thrilled and and I just love California you know from that day on from the plane landing to everything you know just you know just to be able to be in that studio where, you know, things had happened and the original, um, you know, um, studio buildings and the morgue and, you know, or the, the archives and all of those, the original stuff, it's just sitting there, you know, they have a whole, a whole area that's all dedicated to props from all the films that they've ever done, you know, um, and to be able to walk around and see those, it's just, to me, it was just, just as exciting as, you know, being in the Florida studio. And I, I uh, loved it from the very beginning. So, yeah, and it's, I have the same experience, you know, of course, being at Lucasfilm too, you know, just seeing the, the props and the awards and the, the files and all those things, you know, just part of a filmmaker's journey. Now we have a Disney museum here and and that is just been such a blessing because it's so fun to see the life of Disney and how he went through you know his life having challenges being put in front of him and how he just was never stopped by them. and it's very inspiring. So yeah, I, if you, you've
0: been there. Right. I love the Disney, oh, the oh. Walt Disney Museum. We had a, we had a couple of our events there for women in animation. Oh. I mean, everyone that works there is fantastic. They're a fantastic group of people. And it's a great, just the way the museum is set up, because it just starts from before Disney was born. Like I love the floor that talks about his parents I love and his family thing. and just where he came from. And then yeah. you just see, the through line of everything that he did is a direct result of everything that happened before he was ten. It's just right. amazing.
1: Right. Right. It those things affected him and he just had this headstrong quality about him that I love. And I I just, you know, that again, the the chutzpah that it takes to just kind of jump over the blockades and, and uh, you know, his, his creative um, visions, you know, are just, you know, as a child growing up, I love them. And for it now to be only 15 minutes away. And then they bring in lots of people that, like old friends, it's really great. So yeah, I, I love having it there.
0: It is really, really good. And I wanted to ask you too, when you were working on all of these films, did y'all have a sense of how they were affecting the animation industry and the culture at large? Or was it more of we're working at Disney, this is great, we get to work on a cool thing without, you know, really having a, an awareness yet of, and this is going to further change the animation landscape forever. <laughs> like how aware were y'all at the time of all of this? Um,
1: I think you know, we were all very much geeks about it. So we were aware that we were thrilled to be there and thrilled to be making a movie and knowing that we had something special, you know, um, just from our own, you know, seeing the films kind of in production and, and uh, having the faith that they would be good, but to not, we never i think never realized the cultural impact that they would have our it was only until like after seeing kids wearing beauty and the beast backpacks and everything under the sun and shoes and shirts and skirts and then i think the realization that it had kind of crept into the psyche of people and you know we're going to affect a new generation of animation people was just i think that became clear you know as you just started seeing people in airports (laughs) and you know on the streets and so doing the lion king though um i think by then we were kind of aware that we were doing something quite beautiful the music was by elton john was just so gorgeous and um but I don't think it I don't think anybody, you know, were were stunted by that. You know, you we I don't recall anyone feeling like, oh, here we are making another cultural iconic film, you know. <laughs> it's more like we're just gonna do something great and something beautiful and you know, working on films like Treasure Planet, you know, I think that experience of just trying to create something amazing um that experience of being in that viz dev room with ron and john and uh the people that were brought in were just some of the greatest artists you know from, from all over like they they worked with people from all over the world and um, brought them in and here i am in a room with people with just the most gorgeous paintings and i just have these little sketches you know but i Again, you know, just being able to talk with your drawings and being able to explain your thoughts behind it and uh, those, you know, not being intimidated by it or, you know, and I would say that then applies to creating a movie too. You're not intimidated by the movie that's come before or what it's going to mean, you know, trying to just be in the moment about it. You know, I think the the people working on that worked on Frozen probably had a sense of, you know we're working on something wonderful but it was only until seeing you know that song and how let it go and how it just has affected so many people and i think that kind of cultural milestone is really amazing and it's something great to be to be a part of if possible but you don't necessarily see it coming
0: that's really good that's that's good and i was i've always been curious about that like because in hindsight you can always look back and go oh well of course it was great but while you're working on it you may know it's great at the time where you may not know like what you had said I've heard you now and a couple other people talking about how Lion King was the bee project and some people didn't necessarily want to be on it right when it started but it became this great thing so <laughs> right. you don't always right. know
1: <laughs> right and actually when I went to Burbank and told them what that I had been a key you know breakdown artist. And they're like, no, 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 you couldn't have been. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Oh, but you know, it was just cause so many people got a first start, you know, doing something kind of the next level because it was kind of a point where the studio was splitting, you know, and create, you know, they had to kind of make more positions available because they wanted to do more. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was scrappy in some ways, but, you know, it certainly, you know, it's just such a fun movie to look back on now and realize, oh gosh, I love that music still. You know, like It's still just as a, a happy film and, you know, and beautiful and tragic and gorgeous. And so I am proud to have worked on it.
0: It's an excellent film. And you mentioned too that when you went to Burbank, Yes. That you were a part of the Burbank Story Internship and you got to work with Joe Ramped. What was that experience like? Because I have only heard wonderful stories about oh, Joe yeah. and how great you he know, was.
1: I never got to know him as a friend, but as someone who learned from him, um, I just felt like he had a way, well, actually he'd created the textbook for our, um, for our story program. So, I was familiar just from tearing that thing apart. Of just his sense of humor and his ability to communicate, and also his simplicity of drawing and communication was, you know, just very direct and, you know, gettable right from the beginning. He didn't get too caught up in, you know, rendering his drawings or doing anything too fancy. It was just, what is the idea, you know? And um, so when he then came and worked with us for a week. It was so fun. And he just, you know, just towered above everyone. And, but his sense of humor and his ability to communicate made him very, very um, lovable. And, uh, you know, so sad that he's no longer with us. And you just wonder what he would have done, you know, going forward. But yeah, he's, he he was such an inspiration and I still have his book and I just still pour over it, you know, and I need to kind of go back to square one. And He, he, I believe he wrote it with uh, Vance Gary, the two of them together brought together all the old images from, um, from old films, you know, um, you know, another book that I poured through is the illusion of life as I'm sure you have and everyone it's, it's a book that, communicates so well how animation works and story works and the book that joe ramp created was also just a kind of like a part of that you know like it just felt like a, a little extra section or something from illusion of life it it went into details of you know boarding and creating, you know, a rhythm in your storytelling and, um, and how to, you know, just how to pitch, you know, there were like all these drawings of it, just how, how not to do it and how to do it. And so, yeah, I, I feel like Joe Ramph is somehow a friend, but, but I can't honestly claim that he was just an inspiration.
0: Great inspiration. And you mentioned, uh, pitching and talking, you know, working with all of these people, what were some of the techniques that you used to be able to pitch effectively and also to have confidence since you were working with people who had been in the industry for a really long time and were at the yeah. top of their game?
1: <laughs> um, I would say that there has to be, in every story artist, a little bit of a ham. You know, you have to be a little bit of someone that... I had some theatrical background uh, in, you know, as a kid, I was in plays and I was in my very first hammock moment was when I was a kid, I was in a, a Christmas pageant and I grabbed the microphone and started singing, you know, to,
0: <laughs> <laughs> just in the middle of the whole You're thing. You're just like, I'm just going to celebrate and, this moment happening yeah, on stage.
1: and like took some hay and started feeding the donkey. Apparently, I was just like a one- one girl show you know there and but I feel like that I continue that kind of just I'm on stage (laughs) (laughs) and I feel like there has to be a certain comfort in doing that even though I can be really shy I think being on stage in some form or other it it kind of brings out a um it brings out the ability to, uh, or it just brings out the fun, you know, and I, I really enjoy being able to make people laugh and I like using voices and I like just trying to get people to laugh, even though they've seen the same storyboard 80 times, you know? <laughs> like,
0: if there's some kind of challenge in that, you
1: know, um, <laughs>
0: you're like i'm going it's like even though you've seen it you haven't seen it like this right it's right this time
1: you will really find it even funnier you know <laughs> so um anyway pitching and showing your work needs to go hand in hand with um with being a story artist and uh being pretty comfortable with it, you know, there's, I I can feel nervous before, you know, my pitch, like, there'll be like five people pitching in front of you or something like that. And you're feeling, you can just sit there and just feel your stomach flipping in knots. But, but once you're up there, if you just take a deep breath and look everybody in the eye and uh, say hello and create a little bit of a moment, then I think you can just slow down and go into it and find your rhythm you know i've had pitches that have been flat and not good you know but generally it's when i have a, a people that have seen it a lot and it's a smaller group when you're working a larger group it can be better
0: <laughs> it's like <laughs> the collective everyone's energy feeds on each <laughs> other as opposed to oh,
1: you got really. two people yeah so it's much better one
0: of them to laugh or else they just kind of sit there
1: uh-huh that's right That's true. Yeah, And now, of course, digital pitching, you know, can kind of take you away from that. And, and that is nice. You know, it just puts the focus on your work and your, um, your timing and your voice, um, rather than just your gestures and your, your uh, slapstick, you know, it's more about your creating a
0: movie at that point.
1: And I really love digital pitching.
0: And you're talking about, as opposed to pitching with like the stick and the note cards on the board, you're talking about like pitching from like a, like a Cintiq or a screen. Yeah.
1: Right. With using a screen. It's, it's a kind of creating a story reel right there in front of everyone, which is really nice. It does make it harder. I would say to go back and discuss what they had just seen um, where you, if you have everything pinned up, it makes it, you can really kind of get in there and start repinning and folding things over and tearing things down and putting new things up. So I think a combination of the two is is a really great thing. But yeah, I, I really do love working on a board. I, I think there is great value in that um, for children's books. Even in children's books now, they're talking about storyboarding, which is awesome because I feel like that's really what, to be able to visualize it in front of you and to be able to work with something physical is a good thing. But yeah, also beating out the beats of a film using a board is very valuable. It's a great tool.
0: And you mentioned too, like that you enjoyed working with challenges as far as story goes. Yeah. And I I liked what you said about dinosaur, because usually I would think that, you know, if someone saw a story that had a lot of problems, their first thought might be, I know fear, <laughs> or or just like, oh no, we have to do this. But it sounds like you went in there and went, no, this is great because we get an opportunity to make something great. Oh, And yeah. I was curious, yeah, how did? That's a really good attitude to have. And I just want to know how how were you able to have that kind of attitude as opposed to having a more pessimistic or negative attitude towards that kind of challenge?
1: Hmm, it's a good question. Well, I feel like when you go into a meeting and a story is in peril, it's, you are the doctors, you know, <laughs> and it's, you're going to just do everything you can to save it. You know, you're, you're, um, everything you can bring to it is, is valuable and important. And, and it's not just, Solved, you know, and that's to me a great fun thing to do. I really love hashing out a story. I really love getting into debate about a story. I really love that. And when people are passionate about it, when people are just apathetic and, you know, like, who cares, just put it out there, <laughs> you know, like, which has never been my experience. I've never had that happen. But if it did, I know that that would be a sad time because having the, the ability to work on a story and to make it as good as you possibly can is, is what you're tasked with. That's your job is to, and it's what you want to do. It's what you, every you know, part of you wants to make it better and make it great and make it make sense and emotionally make sense and make it an emotionally fun roller coaster for your audience. You know, you want it to mean something to them. And, uh, when you go into those meetings, you just come in with that, you know, it's like, you're, you're just prepared to do what it takes to make sure that the story is, is going to be good and going to be okay. And, uh, so I, my experience has been when things are in trouble, I have just enjoyed loving, or I've just loved being able to, to help work on things and to help build things and to sit down in a meeting and to sketch things out and to find things that are funny and to understand characters and discuss where they've come from and what they think. And, you know, that's when it really cracks open for me. And I just, story is just this joy. And, and when you solve it, and when it kind of comes together, when it feels good, it's um, just fantastic. So yeah, you know, it's story is something where you may never see your ideas on screen. You know, you have to kind of have that tough skin that says I have just been a part of the process. <laughs> and I've been happy to be there. <laughs> and done whatever I can, you know, laid my body down and, you know, just let everything kind of, but, you know, you, that's what you, um, it's just the story artist kind of career is to know that you were part of it in some capacity or other.
0: <laughs> and it sounds that mentality has helped you well with your own story that you were pitching. Cause you were saying how you had pitched it to Lucas and wild brain and now it's with independent producers. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic that you've you've held on to it and you're Thank determined you. yes, to see it through. <laughs> well, I, I really think it is because I think sometimes people, if it doesn't work the first like one or two times, they're likely to quit. And I think what people don't realize is a lot of your favorite things, it took years and people really fighting to see it through. Right. And I I was curious. Like what we were saying before, how were you able to hold on to it and to make sure that you could see it through and that it, you know, so that it will eventually, you know, get made as a feature film?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would say that I've. It's important to hold on to ideas, but it's also important to throw them away. And, you know, you can't just keep hammering at a square peg if you've got a round hole. You know, you've kind of, kind of be able to change and listen and be able to see things and know where, you know, when to fold them kind of thing. It's, but if you believe in kind of the core idea and the core theme and the characters involved, I believe that it's important to, to keep looking and finding and keep, um, Finding a path forward, you know. I look at films like like Frozen that, you know, was in development at Disney for what fifty years or something.
0: Like oh, when when Disney was alive, I mean, was, that's right. It's that's been there for a very queen. long time. so no
1: Queen, and you know that, you know, just trying different things, trying different things. You know what what can be done. You know, there's something there. You know, they didn't just give up on that whole fairy tale. They like there's something there and what is it? And to have cracked that nut is so commendable. And, um, you know, the same thing for Beauty and the Beast, you know, it's also a, a story that Walt Disney wanted to tackle and so many early sketches and drawings and early things that weren't quite landing right, you know, and, the idea of a beast asking a girl to marry him night after night, you know, and that story they just had to kind of abandon and find something new. And so so when I say tenacity and keeping going with the one idea, I don't mean to say just kind of putting up a roadblock and, you know, not saying you're going to be able to find different paths. It's a matter of finding new paths for a storyline. And I would say it, it can come slowly. And, and so, yeah, I think it's important to be able to put things away for a little bit, you know, like I have a few story ideas for books, but that, that I sent out to publisher to a publisher or two, and they gave me notes about them and I've addressed those notes, but I also didn't feel like it was ready. And so I've put it put it away. And, you know, I hope to get them out at some point, but, you know, it's some, so they don't ever really die. They just are kind of ideas that need to percolate, you know, in the subconscious. And uh, so keeping, I think a lot of things going at the same time is important to be able to not just grind one idea (laughs) through time, but to actually have lots of different ideas and, I feel like those stories are bolstering each other. And and I also find like if roadblocks come, those that can be good. Um, I feel like the challenges that can come with a story, like, you know, such as Lucasfilm deciding to go with Star Wars, you know? <laughs> it never is a true roadblock because it in fact says, you know, it needs to just, you just need more time, you know? And I think... That kind of thinking for anybody, you know, recognizing that you have your lifetime is can be long and it can be short. It can be, you know, it's but you also have that chance to to percolate a story over time. And if you give it a chance, I think things can rise to the surface that in the end are better for it. So yeah, I don't see um, the challenges as being a true disappointment. I find like they're just actually put there, you know, I'm thinking of like the Joseph Campbell kind of threshold guardians, you know, and all that stuff. And those kinds of things, if you can actually recognize those problems that come along as being part of your own storyline to create a movie or create a story I think it can be kind of inspiring because it's like oh I'm on a journey (laughs) I'm actually trying to do something here and that that is a great way I think for everyone to to embrace their stories and to to keep looking at them from different sides and different angles and put them away for a bit and bring them back out and what what is the the thing that keeps you bringing it back out you know I think that's important to know as well
0: that is excellent advice,, Good. and actually kind of leads to my next question too, because yeah. you mentioned working at Lucas and working at Wild Brain for your projects, and I, I wanted to know how do you adjust to working in different studio environments and working in different cultures since you had an opportunity to work with at this point almost all of the major studios
1: well i I think you can find. Similarities at all the studios. Everybody loves movies, and you're always going to find a common ground there. The studios might be different in the layout or the facilities. The very first place I worked in, my very first animation job was in uh, Worthington, Ohio, when I was in college. I worked doing commercials with character builders this little place that had a gallery of animation art up front in the back we kind of had this really scrappy studio but Jeff Smith who created Bone was working there you know in this little room in the back with us and you know we had a coffee pot on the toilet you know (laughs) it was like it was very scrappy, and um You know, that in comparison to like the Skywalker Ranch, which was just like this beautiful place. And I still feel like the people inside of those facilities all want the same thing. They all want to create the best art that they can. And they're all pushing to meet a deadline or they're all trying to push to create something that is lasting and meaningful, even if it's just a commercial, you know, I think there's, there's a similarity to all the different studios that I've worked with that has made me comfortable at all of them. And the people are always funny, (laughs) which is good. I love being funny. And, uh, I, appreciate humor, wherever it is. And that is that commonality has always been to me just the common language. And so yeah, the studios, wherever they are, you know, all the different places, I find that the people are going to be welcoming, and they're going to be kind, and they're going to be competitive, and it's going to be fun. And you're all just kind of in there to do something great.
0: That is really good. Okay. Well, I have to say between you're already a great artist in your own right and between all the people that you have met, I do believe that you are the Kevin Bacon of the animation industry. <laughs> I think you've met every, oh my. every person. So nice. That is That is fantastic. Thank you. That is very great. And you have a, a great attitude about it. And in between all that, you found time to teach. And I, I wanted yeah. to ask you too, like, oh yeah. How did you get into teaching? Because oh, it sounds like you were I mean, between pitching a you know, pitching books and pitching a film yes. and doing all this personal work, you also found time to teach. So so how did that come about?
1: Well, I love to teach. Another job I had when I was in college, as if I just had no time to work in college, I was a teacher at a recreational center. It's kind of an inner city Place, and I taught kids art and I taught them basketball.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need in life, art. I know, basketball. right? right <laughs> so fun.
1: And then and then I also taught at a summer camp um, in Maine. And so those are my first experiences teaching myself, you know, and my dad, as I mentioned, is a teacher and my grandmother had been a teacher and I it's just such an you know uh, an important thing to be able to communicate what needs to be taught to the next generation of artists and uh, any capacity or just to be able to express the fun of it. So yeah, I know Sherry Sinclair from Florida at the Academy of Art and she asked me if I would be willing to teach the storyboard class and So I believe in 2008, I started with them and, um, taught only that class just as an adjunct professor in the evening on Monday nights, I came, came in and taught that class. I also wrote an online version for it, which was a great experience, kind of creating a textbook of sorts, you know, of the things that I knew and also began teaching a story development class. And, you know, I just, I do what I can, I don't always teach, but it's, um, I love when I'm doing it. And I love the students and I've been in contact with so many of them, you know, and it's been just great. I love, I love being able to see what they've come up with and helping them find their own voices has been really great.
0: Well, Tamara, this has been great. Thank you so much today for your time and for telling all of your stories They have been fantastic. Uh, Where can people find your work online?
1: Thank you. Um, uh, Yeah, I have a a smattering of work on a Tumblr. Um, It's Tamara, T-A-M-A-R-A dash Mara dot Tumblr dot com. And yeah, I have examples of illustration work and biz dev and storyboards and Unfortunately, I can't put up work that's in development or films that I've worked on that are still in in the works, but yeah, I can show a little bit of what I can do. And yeah, thank you so much, Angela. It's been such a pleasure and I it was a joy to have you as a student and as a friend. So thank you.
0: Thank you and appreciate that very much. Is there anything else you'd like to share or any uh, parting thoughts you have for the listeners?
1: Hmm. Well, yes, just be yourself and make sure that your drawings are you and put forth your best work and, and, uh, make sure that you are a person that people want to work with again. And that is, I think just my best advice is to just make sure that you don't get discouraged and you don't get frustrated by the process of animation just make sure that you are what part
0: of what makes it great excellent advice thank you so much today for your time and have a great rest of your day
1: thank you angela you too
0: and that concludes episode 11 special thanks again to tamara lusher stocker for coming on the show today and you can check out all of her websites by visiting the show notes And also by visiting the website, www.theanimatedjourney.com. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of those reviews help more people to find out about the show. Thank you again to everyone who has left the review so far. I really appreciate it. And also, if you'd like to donate the show, you can go to www.theanimatedjourney.com and click on the Donate button on the right-hand column. Every little bit helps. And you can also support all of our sponsors, Amazon, Audible, and Blueberry website hosting by clicking on the banner ads at the right-hand side. Every time you click on those ads and then do your regular everyday shopping, those companies send a little bit of money back to the show. And all of that helps to keep the lights on, helps pay for web hosting, helps keep everything afloat. So thank you to everyone who has supported Blueberry, which is your place to go if you want to create your very own podcast podcast. Audible, which has the largest selection of audiobooks that you could ever want to read, and also Amazon, which, as you know, carries everything, especially The Illusion of Life, one of the books that Tamara mentioned in today's show, so you can go there and pick up a copy today. And if you're curious to see what I've been up to, you can check out my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, it's www.sketchysoul.com. Dot tumblr.com on Instagram it's at sketchy underscore soul and on Twitter it's at sketchy soul so until next time be encouraged and have a great day everybody.